Hello again, my friends. Welcome to another scary story from a graveyard. Tonight we'll be doing two tales as we did before. Continuing along in the book by Ambrose Bierce, referred to as Present at a Hanging and Other Ghost Stories. The cemetery that I'm coming to you from is the Osage Brethren Cemetery in Crawford County, Kansas, also known as the Dunkard Church Cemetery or the Osage Church of the Brethren Cemetery. There appears to be over 200 individuals interred here. And now, on with the stories. The first story being a wireless message. In the summer of 1896, Mr. William Holt, a wealthy manufacturer of Chicago, was living temporarily in a little town of central New York, the name of which the writer's memory has not retained. Mr. Holt had had trouble with his wife, from whom he had parted a year before. Whether the trouble was anything more serious than incompatibility of temper, he is probably the only living person that knows. He is not addicted to the vice of confidences. Yet he has related the incident herein set down to at least one person without exacting a pledge of secrecy. He is now living in Europe. One evening he had left the house of a brother whom he was visiting for a stroll in the country. It may be assumed, whatever the value of the assumption in connection with what is said to have occurred, that his mind was occupied with reflections on his domestic infelicities and the distressing changes that had wrought in his life. They had wrought in his life, my apologies. Whether they may have been his thoughts, they so possessed him that he observed neither the lapse of time nor whether his feet were carrying him. He knew only that he had passed far beyond the town limits and was traversing a lonely region by a road that bore no resemblance to the one by which he had left the village. In brief, he was lost. Realizing his mischance, he smiled. Central New York is not a region of perils, nor does one rem long remain lost in it. He turned about and went back the way that he had come. Before he had gone far, he observed that the landscape was growing more distinct, was brightening. Everything was suffused with a soft red glow in which he saw his shadow projected in the road before him. The moon is rising, he said to himself. Then he remembered that it was about the time of the new moon, and that... Oh, and if that tricksy orb was in one of the stages of visibility it had set long before. He stopped and faced about, seeking the source of the rapidly broadening light. As he did so, his shadow turned and lay along the road in front of him as before. The light still came from behind him. That was surprising. He could not understand. Again he turned, and again facing successfully, Successive, yeah, successfully, 
to every point of the horizon. Always the shadow was before, always the light behind, a still and awful red. Holt was astonished. Dumbfounded is the word that he used in telling it, yet seems to have retained a certain intelligent curiosity. To test the intensity of the light, whose nature and cause he could not determine, he took out his watch to see if he could make out the figures on the dial. They were plainly visible, and the hands indicated the hour of eleven o'clock in twenty-five minutes. At that moment the mysterious illumination suddenly flared to an intense, almost blinding splendor, flushing the entire sky, extinguishing the stars, and throwing the monstrous shadow of himself athwart the landscape. In that unearthly illumination he saw near him, but apparently in the air at a considerable elevation, the figure of his wife, clad in her night-clothing, and holding to her breast the figure of his child. Her eyes were fixed upon with, on his with an expression which he afterward professed himself unable to name or describe, further than that it was not of this life. The flare was momentary, followed by black darkness, in which, however, the apparition still showed white and motionless. Then by insensible degrees it faded and vanished, like a bright image on the retina after the closing of the eyes. A peculiarity of the apparition, hardly noted at the time, but afterward recalled, was that it showed only the upper half of the woman's figure. Nothing was seen below the waist. The sudden darkness was comparative, not absolute, for gradually all objects of his environment became again visible. In the dawn of the morning, Holt found himself entering the village at a point opposite to that which he had left it. He soon arrived at the house of his brother, who hardly knew him. He was wild-eyed, haggard, and gray as a rat. Almost incoherently, he related his night's experience. "'Go to bed, my, po my poor fellow,' said his brother, "'and wait. We shall hear more of this.' An hour later came the predestined telegram. Holt's dwelling in one of the suburbs of Chicago had been destroyed by fire. Her escape cut off by the flames, his wife had appeared at an upper window, her child in her arms. There she had stood, motionless, apparently dazed. Just as the firemen had arrived with the ladder, the floor had given way, and she was seen no more. The moment of this culminating horror was eleven o'clock in twenty-five minutes, standard time. Tale number two for the night is titled, An Arrest. <clears throat> Having murdered his brother-in-law, Oren Brower of Kentucky was a fugitive from justice. From the county jail where he had been confined to wait his await his trial, he had escaped by knocking down his jailer with an iron bar, robbing him of his keys, and, opening the outer door, walked out into the night. The jailer being unarmed, Brower got no weapon with which to defend his recovered liberty. As soon as he was out of the town, he had the fo folly to enter a forest. This was many years ago, 
when that region was wilder than it is now. The night was pretty dark, with neither moon nor stars visible, and as Brower had never dwelt thereabout, and knew nothing of the lay of the land, he was, naturally, not long in losing himself. He could not have said if he were getting farther away from the town or going back to it, a most important matter to Orrin Brower. He knew that in either case, a posse of citizens with a pack of bloodhounds would soon be on his track, and his chance of escape was very slender. But he did not wish to assist in his own pursuit. Even an added hour of freedom was worth having. Suddenly he emerged from the forest on into an old road, and there before him he saw and there before him saw, indistinctly, the figure of a man, motionless in the gloom. It was too late to retreat. The fugitive felt that if at the first movement back toward the wood, he would be, as he afterward explained, filled with buckshot. So the two stood there like trees, Brower nearly suffocated by the activity of his own heart. The other, the emotions of the other, are not recorded. A moment later, it may have been an hour, the moon sailed into a patch of unclouded sky, and the hunted man saw the, that visible embodiment of law lift an arm and point significantly toward and beyond him. He understood. Turning his back to his captor, he walked submissively away in the direction indicated, looking to neither the right nor the left hardly daring to breathe, his head and back actually aching with a prophecy of buckshot. Bauer was a courageous, was co as courageous a criminal as ever lived to be hanged. That was shown by the conditions of awful personnel, personal peril in which he had coolly killed his brother-in-law. It is needless to relate from the, relate them there, them here. They came out at his trial and the revelation of his calmness in confronting them came near to saving his neck. But what would you have when a brave man is beaten, he submits. So they pursued their journey, jailward, along the old road, through the woods. Only once did Brower venture a turn of the head. Just once, when he was in a deep, when deep shadow, and he knew that the other was in moonlight. He looked backward. His captor was Burton Duff, the jailer, as white as death and bearing upon his brow the livid mark of the iron bar. Orrin Brower had no further curiosity. Eventually they entered the town, which was all alight, but deserted. Only the women and children remained, and they were off the streets. Straight towards the jail, toward the jail, the criminal held his way. Straight up to the main entrance he walked laid his hand upon the knob of the heavy iron door, pushed it open without command, entered and found himself in the presence of a half-dozen armed men. Then he turned. Nobody else entered. On a table in the corridor lay the dead body of Burton Duff. Mm, another good couple of stories of ghostly visages. One proposing a tragedy miles away, and another 
I suppose getting justice. I hope that you enjoyed our story this evening as well as I did. I hope that you all will have a pleasant evening and a good tomorrow. Until next time, my friends, do take care, and I do hope to see you again oh so very soon.